I think it is a balance because you want to be able to capture the maximum number of people possible, but you want them to be of self-selected in as well as you selecting them. And often that can be a little bit hard to get the balance right, especially when it's not just a generic role. So I always say that if you spend more time on what you want your process to be, that will actually make your recruitment element work faster just because you've invested the time to make the process as effective as it can be. Welcome to the HR LMD podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR LMD podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR LD podcast. Today, I'm joined by Robert Hicks, Group HR Director at Reward Gateway, an employee engagement platform. Now, the business has over 1,000. 800 clients using products to attract, engage and retain the best employee, something that as you all know, I am very passionate about myself. Now, Robert is the lucky custodian of the people and experience teams at Reward Gateway. He's responsible for all of their people worldwide across numerous teams and departments, including employee engagement, learning and development, reward and benefits, diversity and inclusion, office experience, people operations, internal communications and, of course, recruitment. Basically, anything and everything people related. Now today Robert joins me on the show to talk about HR tech, future innovations, how tech can really help diversity and inclusion for HR and of course why all firms should be considering innovation not just the big brands. I can't wait to get started. Welcome Robert to the show. How are you feeling today? Thanks Nick. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. Both of us have been uh, talking off air about homeschooling and the challenges that lockdown 3.0 is bringing us all. So I'll apologise to everyone in advance if you hear a little seven-year-old run into the background and ask me a question about adjectives. Uh, Hopefully that won't happen Uh, but I'm keen to get started today. So first question Robert, let's kick off on the tech side. When did tech and HR really start to get integrated for you? I think HR and tech have been working together really well for a long time. But I think it's over the last couple of years where the integration has really accelerated. I go back and I've got a kind of a a, probably a too long a career in HR. And I remember when we moved from paper to digital applications for jobs because in way back when we'd have to be sending out application packs and then collating them and, and and everything was done by letters and mail merges. If listeners are wondering what that was like, it was terrible. <laughs> so uh, recruitment started to get digital. And then I think learning started to get digital, but never really talking to each other. And I still don't think they do now. But in the last couple of years, you've got systems which are aligned so you have single sign-on to get you into multiple systems or if you're really being clever you've got a hub where you log into and then all of your employee information and HR systems as many as you can do are integrated into that. 
Excellent. I still remember the days of Rolodex in recruitment. And uh, I remember when, when the first kind of job boards came to market, the likes of Monster. And for us, it was groundbreaking. You know, you can find all these people on a on a digital platform as opposed to going through reams of cards of people where you've written down all their key skills. So uh, for me, in, in recruitment, certainly innovation and tech has absolutely revolutionized the way that we do things. But how has technology from a positive standpoint, how has it really helped HR professionals from your from your viewpoint? As a big advocate of technology and especially technology in HR, I think it's really improved the job experience of people working kind of in our community. I'll give you a few examples. If we're thinking of the learning administrator sending out memos and then sending out feedback forms and collating them, all of that now is done through a single calendar invite and then an NPS form at the end. So then all of that information is there. So what would have been five hours of work is now 30 minutes. When we look at the recruitment side, all of the work now is on making sure that the advert is a really good quality and that you're being responsive and the speed within which you can work your recruitment is much faster. And what this means is that you focus on doing the high quality work around the conversations, finding out about the candidate, rather than spending your time on an administrative kind of set of tasks, which means the people entering our communities and working in a different roles of HR are now actually doing much more kind of interesting, innovative, beneficial to themselves and to colleagues work. So it's more fulfilling and just the overall job experience is much better. Sure. Do you, do you find, though, with technology, let me give an example, particularly in relation to the pandemic we've got at the minute. So you're absolutely right. The technology certainly that we use as a recruitment firm has improved at no end in terms of the way we post adverts and so on. But obviously, because of the, the advances in tech in terms of the way that we, we post adverts and how far those adverts can be distributed now, it also results in a much higher volume of applications potentially which can obviously then increase workloads at the back end hopefully it means you're encouraging you know more in um, diverse talent to apply but there's a workload element there where sometimes when you improve technology it actually increases volume have you have you found that from your side and how have you handled that if you have yeah i, th- I think it's a really good point i actually think that part of the issue when we've had too many applications i think it's a, a useful i.e myself and the team We've perhaps not put in a couple of little checks into the process to kind of manage it more effectively. And things of where you can add in a couple of questions to just ask candidates, do they have these skills and experiences rather than just kind of looking at a title and and then applying? Some roles, you will always get huge amounts of applications and people are kind of applying for lots of different things. I think it is a balance because you want to be able to capture the maximum number of people possible, but you want them to be of self-selected in as well as you selecting them. And often that can be a little bit hard to get the balance right, especially when it's not just a generic role. So I always say that if you spend more time on what you want your process to be, that will actually make your recruitment element work faster just because you've invested the time to make the process as effective as it can be. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And actually, it's a good example you putting in those two questions. I read recently about one of the big brands, which I won't name here, 
who actually put a, a secret code into their adverts. I say secret, it, it's there for everyone to see. But of course, the, the platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook and other places where you can apply with just one click of a job, it's, it's obvious now that many people apply for jobs without even reading the adverts. So what they did is they said, you know, if you are applying, please quote this this code if you like and for anyone that didn't quote the code were instantly rejected because it showed they hadn't looked at the advert itself and for everyone that had quoted uh, looked at the code it showed that at least read the advert before pressing the apply button and went into a different poll for review but i do think with platforms making it so easy to apply now yes we're getting huge volumes which opens up the potential talent pools which is great but often people haven't actually looked at the content for the jobs they're applying for. They're applying for any job rather than than the job. And obviously, all brands are want to want to try and attract people that really are committed to the the values and, and mission statements that they're trying to achieve. So I think that was quite an interesting innovation, a very simple one by just putting a code in. But it sounds like the sort of simple questions you were thinking about there it aims to achieve the same thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I often think, and this is speaking with 25 plus experience of, of being in the industry. We often, and I'll say we, and it's a kind of a royal we, have listed criteria which we want and then you, you don't really need. And I, and I don't think we've really got to a, a point where we're listing, please only apply if you have these four skills and, uh, and levels of experience. Sure. Often it will be listing more and kind of we're picking the best person that fits kind of this breadbasket of goods. And the one thing I, I think I struggle with, having been a candidate in the past and um, and being kind of an HR leader who's always looked after recruitment too, is how do we get the balance right between listing what we need as an absolute rather than removing something which if someone didn't have, we, we wouldn't need. And I actually think that... There's yet to be an advert which truly gets the best pool of candidates and only the best pool rather than a lot of the times managers will go. A great example would be that they're looking for two different sales roles, but you can get a senior and a junior within those fields or you can get a junior and a senior. So they will make it broadly generic to drive up applications because managers are being flexible in terms of what they could hire but actually this then creates the ambiguity and so we don't end up with the best go-to-market proposition to make it attractive to the right candidate we've made it attractive to as many candidates as possible sure no i'd agree with that i think something particularly for yourself you know working at reward gateway someone who's very passionate and and in the know when it comes to reward and benefit offerings i do think as well that a lot of the job boards and platforms you know, people start their search by putting in the salary they're looking for. And actually, jobs have changed now. They're a lot more holistic. You know, it's not about just the, the salary at the end of the day. It's about the remuneration, the rewards, the flexibility, the ability to work from home, potentially, other benefits that come inside, the value of a pension, all those different things. But of course, you, you can't get that value by just, just searching on a salary. So how have you overcome that? Because I know that Reward Gateway is, 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 a, is a business that, that thinks you know, very carefully about the, the reward and benefits packages it puts together. If people are only searching for jobs based on their salary expectation, have you found that's ever limited your applications or have you overcome that hurdle? I don't think that the salary piece is impacting the world where kind of we operate. I think that's partly because there's market driven kind of salaries based around the environments within which we kind of operate. And I think we've actually become quite good at matching 
and that's we, the industry, matching titles to salary levels which are expected. And I think that the conversations that you always have on your recruiter screening call make sure that someone's interested in the role, has the right level of notice um, or the level of notice they've got and matches the salary levels. And I think that what you need to kind of be doing is making sure that at that first stage of the conversation, you're kind of matching what you're expecting to pay with what they're looking to pay as well. So things which we've done, and and I hired a really great head of talent acquisition recently, and our challenge was that we had 750 people apply, all of which could probably do the role in some capacity And so we went through a process of trying to get people to self-select out. So everyone who applied got an open letter from me, which kind of explained the challenges of of what the job would be like. They got a video from the team explaining what it was like to, to work for me and to work in the team. And I was very honest about what it's like to work here. And our Glassdoor reviews are are very honest. It is fast-paced. It is really, really energetic. And we do start some things and we do stop some things. And we kind of really want people to understand Reward Gateway isn't going to change for a candidate. A candidate is going to need to accept Reward Gateway. And how I do describe us to candidates and to colleagues is we're an asteroid going through space. The reality is is that we've got a course that we're probably not going to deviate from much. We we will adjust. But Reward Gateway isn't going to say, oh, we're going to completely change everything we do because we've got over 400 colleagues. We sell into three different kind of large markets. We've got a really successful set of teams across the globe. And we really want people to come in and be a culture ad, to really add to our mission. And we want people who understand what we do and why we do it and want to be part of that and then I think that all of the elements around salary and what the job is like take care of itself because we've been very honest and open about who we are and what we are and we need people to say I want to work there sure because they believe in what we do I love your comment on culture ad. I mean, for those that have listened to these podcasts in the past, they'll know that it's something I'm quite passionate about in in terms of trying to get rid of this culture fit term and actually, if anything, change it to finding people that evolve a culture, as you put culture, you know, add to your culture, which I think is really important. And I know that for yourself, uh, DNI is something you're very passionate about. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about how technology can really influence um, diversity and inclusion in HR. But for, just staying on that recruitment point for a moment. I'm finding in recruitment as an external recruiter that many recruitment practices have relied a little bit too heavily on some of the the more popular platforms. So if I use LinkedIn as an example, as a single source for all of its recruitment, but I would argue that in doing that, it limits your ability to attract a diverse range of candidates because people that are on LinkedIn, just to begin with, those that are on LinkedIn will typically share a certain set of characteristics and beliefs and behaviours and whatever, just by being on that platform. So I think that if you only ever recruit from one place, you eventually go end up with a relatively homogenised workforce, you know, that share those characteristics. And if if we really want to attract people from diverse backgrounds and, and different places and really add diversity to our businesses, then we need to look wider than just single source platform processes. I know that diversity and inclusion is really something that um, you're very passionate about, Robert. So I'd love to know what the Wall Gateway have been doing and what you've been doing to, to really widen that net to make sure that you're able to attract people that can add to your culture from a diverse range of backgrounds um, to see how, how you've been involved in your business. I think DNI is 
probably the most strategic initiative that HR and recruitment teams are going to, to be involved with over the next five years and should have been looking at for the last couple of years. Sure. I think from an economic perspective, we've got to start thinking about where can I find the best talent? And the best talent isn't going into the same pools that you've got. It is looking at where, from a business advantage perspective, can you find talent which has been underutilized? And, and that's from the diverse communities. And the reason I say that is all studies show that where you have diverse leadership and diverse teams, your decision making is better and your economic value, so your profit and your revenue and your growth improves. So if you're not looking at what you're doing in DNI, you're actually hamstringing yourself from faster growth. But I think the hardest thing for any person working in HR recruitment is doing DNI takes much more than just a normal sense of effort to find a good range of candidates. It's about long-term relationships, long-term partnerships. It's about putting in the building blocks around everything within which you do. It's about a whole company commitment to it. And then it's about investing time when you have an open role to build a pipeline of diverse candidates and not putting, we need a list of candidates within three to five days. You can do that, but then you're not really doing the objectives with kind of which you want to do. So things which we have done is we have an inclusive recruitment charter, which means that managers have to commit to working on diversity initiatives. We have a full list of inclusive recruitment partners who we work with across our five different tiers of diversity. We have diversity networks who help guide us and build relationships into uh, these communities and help us with volunteering programs, with raising awareness of reward gateways and employer, help us with driving up candidates and simply raise the profile of reward gateways and employer who takes DNI seriously and who is committed into that. This is around every one of my recruiters having public accountability on how they present their candidates in terms of the pools within which they've come from. It's about managers being publicly accountable for being committed into having a diverse workforce. But it's also around when you're looking at the internal recruitment side, making sure that you're managing your internal recruitment policies as well to make sure that roles go to the right people. Because you need openness, you need accountability, you need transparency. But what you also need is you need consistency. And if you start to, to do all of these elements, people start to have a bit more belief. And you start to get a good reputation as an employer and you start to be able to hire in for the most diverse talent in terms of applications. But it is more work than just doing a sweep on LinkedIn and getting kind of some great candidates and hiring from there. And it takes time. And time is perhaps the hardest thing within which you've got to kind of find as a resource. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 
800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I could talk about recruitment all day. For those that know me, they know this is an area that I'm really passionate about. It's what I do. But of course, recruitment is only a small element of uh, of what you do as, uh, as HR director at Reward Gateway. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about some of the, the other tech innovations that you're excited about, Robert, that are really impacting the HR profession at the moment. Yeah, thanks. So I think the first thing is if we start on the journey of the employee. So we've gone through and we've talked about the integration of recruitment and hiring, which I think is probably the kind of furthest forward kind of within to that. And then what you have is you have onboarding. And we use an onboarding platform called Onboarder, which helps with the new starter journey, manages some of the messages, builds the relationships between employees and their future team members and managers to kind of really build that early relationship piece, because I think that's really important. And then once you've kind of onboarded somebody, you've got all of the internal systems. So we at Reward Gateway kind of centre ourselves on delivering employee engagement because we believe that engaged employees deliver you the best business performance and how we see things is we want as much of your interactions with the employees to be in a a kind of a single place so if you're communicating with your employees you want them to be able to view those messages if you want to be kind of recognizing them uh, in terms of that's peer-to-peer recognition or manager to employee or across across the business, then you need to be able to do that kind of really simply. And you also want to know who the people you have within your business are because it can be quite hard. And actually for me, what used to happen is you would have lots of different systems and then you would go in and you would do what I would call a transaction of a process within a system and then you would come out and then you would do that. Kind of now you're able to do communications, recognition, kind of have your benefits automated into kind of one system. And we're lucky that at Reward Gateway, this is kind of our day job is providing this to our clients. And one of the things that my team have been really, really passionate about is making sure that everything that a customer would use as part of our offering, kind of we would use ourselves. So we run all of our internal surveys kind of using kind of what we do, which is then all integrated into kind of the single system. And the benefits there are because everything's in one place, you only ever have one list of employees. You only ever have one place to go for your data. You only ever have one place to go for your analytics. And all of your insights and your outputs from all of the interactions which your employees are having with each other, you've got one place where you need to understand within that. So you need less IT resource, you need less resources within your team to manage, but employees have a much smarter ecosystem within which they're working within, which is a slightly fancy term for they have one place to go to do everything they need to do to be an uh, effective employee. Great. Now, you mentioned um, analytics in there. This is probably going to be two questions that you've, you've, you've prompted me to ask. Um, so by all means, answer them in, in, in turn rather than together. But there are two kind of buzzwords working around the HR industry at the minute. One is well-being and obviously very uh, relevant at the minute as we go through, as I say, lockdown 3.0, isolation, anxiety, working remotely, changes in practices, all those kind of things which can impact mental health, can impact well-being, can impact motivation. 
Wellbeing is a really hot topic, but where do you think it sits? I mean, does it sit within employee engagement? Is it does it sit within learning and development, reward and benefits, or should it sit as its completely own functions? That's kind of question one. And question two, you mentioned analytics again. Same same question really. Analytics kind of impacts all of the areas that that you manage. Should in the future, as we develop better analytics and as tech improves, should analytics sit within its own area, or is it part of another function? Two really good good questions, and I'll tackle the well-being one first. Well-being is so important. The UK has been in a, been a state of emergency for the best part of ten concurrent months. But we've also had a lot of rules to kind of navigate. I read today that there's been 64 different sets of COVID rules for us. How can anybody understand what the rules are when there's been 63 different versions? So well-being is really important and well-being is a huge topic. It covers your movement, so your physical well-being, covers your mind, so your mental well-being. Uh, People have financial well-being and then there is the whole piece around diet and, and your internal body. So where does it sit? I feel it sits in different places in different organizations. But for me, I think it sits within the whole engagement piece because if you're thinking about how can you make the best experience for your employees, that that's your employee engagement team and that's where well-being should be because they're not thinking about the process. That that team is thinking about the experience and the value and the impact and they're thinking about initiatives and everything else around well-being and trying to manage that. If it sits within an HR business partner, then they're going to be conflicted with lots of other operational initiatives. Learning, possibly, if the learning team is thinking around the experience of learning rather than just delivering lots of different courses, which um, isn't an incorrect thing to do, but often learning teams are potentially a little bit under-resourced and focus on core courses rather than kind of an overall experience. But to me, you've got to be looking at, in terms of the solutions for well-being, you've got to be multifunctional. You need a place where your employees can go and find that themselves. So we've got a well-being centre, which kind of a lot of our clients have, and it was the number one product which people switched on kind of last year. And we cover four categories of mind, move, munch, and money. So all of the four key areas. We've also just launched our third mental health first aider program because we want as many as our employees and managers to be more aware of mental health and its challenges and what we can be doing to support that. But to me, kind of well-being really sits within a a simple question of obviously going to have acute issues of where there's things we need to take action. But I think it starts with allowing people to do their job the most effective way for them to to do it. So that's in the place where they're doing it. That's in the time within which they're doing it. That That's within the tools which they need and allowing them their decision-making. Because if they've got a range of issues which are, are, are impacting them, the ability to balance them and manage them yields the most effective results. And so... Your flexibility as an employer enables you to potentially reduce down your initiatives because what you're doing is an everyday impact on well-being. It's the same as if you make diversity and inclusion an everyday thing of what you do, then it stops being an initiative and it starts being natural to your everyday thinking. 
Sure, sure. I think there's the COVID has obviously been a terrible, terrible pandemic for many, many people. But there are positives in every in every negative situation. I think if there is one of the positives is it's really brought well-being to the surface over these last 10 months where businesses have really started to consider it in much more detail than perhaps they had before. I mean, you know, I started in recruitment 18 years ago. And I, I, in those days, my memory, and maybe it's an incorrect memory, maybe it's uh, as our memory does these things to us. But my memory was brands in those days was very much you liked it or lumped it. And if you didn't, if you weren't happy, you found another job. Whereas now it's much more about retaining staff, looking after your staff. People know that if you look after your employees and they perform better. And I think there's been uh, so many brands I could mention now, Wall Gateway being one, of course, that really looked after their employees during this pandemic, really sought to go the extra mile to make sure that people are engaged, that people are well uh, mentally, financially. Um, and and they, they realised that if you if you put that investment in now and show that you genuinely care, that actually people perform better. Um, and I think that is one of the positives of this pandemic has been that real focus on well-being for brands that perhaps hadn't considered it to the, to the granular level of detail they have done more recently. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think kind of where should well-being sit? I'm not sure well-being is a team because I don't think it then becomes integrated. I think it needs to be as part of a team where they're thinking about the experience of the employees rather than just about the initiative. Sure. And then in terms of your second question around analytics and where does that sit, I think analytics will become its own function. And I say that because we've already got the genesis of that for many years where you've got the HR information systems and the people who manage that, and you've got lots of different stats. And actually, I think the centralization of analytics is where we'll start to really yield the value. And the reason I say that is... The numbers are the numbers, and the most effective firms look at the numbers in plain detail rather than looking at the spin of them. Because if you look at the information and say, what does this tell us and how can we be better with that? I think you then start to have much, much better conversations rather than if, in, if individual teams within HR start to present their own numbers and start to spin them, you start to lose a little bit of the true context and you start to get the presented context which i think uh, creates a little bit of, of challenge and actually by having everything together you actually start to be able to cross-check different results so if your analytics engine has your employee turnover and it has your survey data and it has your engagement survey information and it has number of learning courses achieved, you can then start to correlate and say, if someone's scoring a four on their survey, because they've completed four out of five surveys, that team has a, a turn, turnover rate of 8%. But if it drops down to two, then the turnover rate increases to 16. You can then start to measure early warnings where certain bits of information start to tell you kind of where in terms of the cause and effect of, of that information the one thing I would say is because you need lots of data to be able to get good insights, there is a bias towards it being really impactful on the bigger firms until kind of we've gone through a process of making HR analytics a really easy thing to do, which I'm not 100% sure is there yet. No, it, it's, it's a good point. Well made. I think um, this potentially, and certainly this is my view, it's not everyone's view, but I think this is something on the analytics piece that will really bring 
together the relationship between HR and payroll because payroll they you know the payroll departments in the UK need to evolve as well uh, as we all know as technology improves processes become more automated and um, payroll is, is is a function where many processes can be automated but they have access to significant amounts of employee data and I think if that's analysed and, and utilised more effectively, then, of course, you can use that data to really impact on organisational objectives that may be part of HR strategy as well. I'm hoping, certainly from my perspective, because I work with a number of payroll professionals as well as I do HR, that it will really help solidify, and already improving, but solidify the relationship between payroll and HR and really improve the value of the payroll function within businesses if they're able to utilise those analytics better to support HR objectives. But I'd be interested to know what your view is on that because mine isn't, mine isn't uh, not everyone shares that view, I should say. Yeah, I think that 30 years ago, we split out payroll from being in HR or personnel into its own function and it kind of sits as an adjunct into finance, which is where I think it was right to go into because the automation of systems wasn't there and it was really an accounting process. Now, and I think that we're starting to see the early elements of it, is where should payroll processing be sitting? Because if we've got all of the tax and processing elements around it being really efficiently done, then if you've got a single updated information and then you've got the right checks and balances, the output of payroll is a financial and accounting task but the input of payroll is all comes from hr pretty much or from systems where it could be sales commission so where should we be kind of looking at that and you do need kind of a separate payroll team because you need people who are really focused on making sure Sure. everyone gets paid and managing that but where should they be sitting and i actually think that you'll start to see an aggregation of payroll coming under the wing of the HR director, the chief people officer, or chief HR officer. And actually, I think that what will then start to be combined is all of your paying data insights are with the payroll team. So wouldn't we include your HR and data insights as part of the uh, payroll team? And so will payroll evolve to be payroll and analytics, which will actually give the people working in payroll a much better kind of job design than yeah. uh, or than not. And I actually think that someone who's an experienced payroll manager, where can they go fr- from that? And actually, if the answer is they then start to do analytics as, p- as part of their duties, that gives them kind of a next stage elevation rather than reaching a little bit of a plateau, which, which they can do within payroll, because once you're managing a payroll, you may manage some benefits. And that payroll benefits an- analytics piece really does start to kind of marry up nicely together. That's certainly my view. I mean, that's why I think if I was a, a payroll manager now, where I'd be look- looking to evolve my skill set and my career. Um, it's not not everyone, you know, as I say, follows my view. But if, if I was working in that profession now, and it's, it's something I've got a lot of experience in working with, professionals it's the angle that i would take and i think i think it could it can bring a lot of benefits to the to hr strategy and hr uh, leaders as well if, if, if they take that angle but uh, i guess we will see what the future what the future brings i want to bring it back because i promised the listeners i would to technology in relation to uh, diversity and inclusion again if i may uh, robert so how from your perspective again because i know it's something you're a real champion for something you're very passionate about how do you think technology can be utilised better to really help diversity and inclusion for HR professionals? Yeah, great question. So 
I'll list the whole uh, group of things where I think that technology is helping and mm-hmm. is a kind of and kind of a further users to take away. So the first thing is I think job boards which have uh, a diverse flavor are really helpful because that kind of helps you with your marketing. And I think you've got to spend the time to go out and use that. And those are perhaps a little bit behind the curve in being as integrated from your ATS as they could be. So that would be helpful if that was more integrated, but I think you can certainly make, make the investment there. You can also use tools which help de-bias your job adverts. You've got uh, free tools which you can Google for kind of around the gender. Uh, we've just implemented a tool called Textio, which is a product which then helps de-bias all of the language you use for to make sure that our adverts appeal to all different kind of diverse communities equally rather than having language which has a, a focus into one direction or another. I think anonymizing applications is perhaps the biggest area of weakness where the ATSs and the recruitment tools haven't yet delivered the ability for everybody to have true blind applications and that's something which i'm looking at at the moment is change is changing our ats to one which um, has this capability or we can build in a tool which then enables us to do that because the more that you just look at the skills and experience that somebody has and only that with with no other reference to where they went to school kind of where they were uh, kind of born or any other information which indicates who they are, you actually just make it a really correct decision of, here's my criteria, here's the skills and experience that that this person has. And then that kind of helps kind of yield that within that. But that's an output of you having done all of the things correct to kind of boost your diverse talent pools. And I think what you need to do is, it's not just technology which does that, which is, making sure that you're working with providers who promote DNI in terms of what they do. So Work180 are a great provider who kind of help kind of women in the workplace kind of showcasing and understand kind of employers or working mum and dads as a website or BAME recruitment as another or kind of following the kind of work with business in the community and their race charter, all of within which we, we partner with. Some of these are more analog solutions rather than fully digital, but got to have that blend because we're not fully automated. So I think it starts with your application tracking system for kind of your applications, but it also starts with where are you placing your name and your job adverts and and integrating that. And even before that, it's about making sure that that you're using tools which make your job adverts as attractive to everybody as possible and making sure that you're very clear on what your approach to DNI is for everybody to see, and making sure that then your panels are as diverse as they can be. We, I think everybody should should be able to achieve gender diversity on their recruitment panels from today. But trying to do uh, kind of other elements is a little bit trickier, just because of the makeup of workforces. But it is certainly something which you should be conscious of and be trying to kind of ask yourself difficult questions for. No, so it's really interesting insights there, Robert. I think um, the anonymised CV piece is an interesting one. I'm not quite sure where where I sit in terms of totally anonymising CVs because I believe unconscious bias and conscious bias exists regardless. I think you can always look into a CV and if you, whether it's anonymised or not, 
you, people may still try and read through it as as people do with with whatever unconscious bias they may have, which they can't control. But I'd be interested to know what your view was based on the recent uh, government uh, announcement that they're looking to remove unconscious bias training, uh, certainly for civil servants in England, saying it doesn't work, which I thought was really interesting. I think um, I couldn't really understand the logic in removing it and certainly couldn't understand it from a a PR exercise. I think um, the government needs to do whatever it can to to prevent unconscious and conscious bias from occurring in, in, in in the recruitment process. And certainly if they're going to remove it, they should replace it with something. But I, I wonder what your take was on that, because clearly some of the initiatives you've mentioned there are very much focused on trying to remove as much you know, unconscious bias as possible. And anonymising CVs is an example of how you could do that. But what did you think of that announcement? I'll tell you my thoughts in a second, but I want to kind of talk about we've spent 10 years talking about unconscious bias and I don't think it's the right term. And what I'm really pleased to say is that the providers who work within this space are are actually turning it into a positive in terms of language and talking around conscious inclusion. I think what what happens is where we talk about unconscious bias, you start by telling somebody they're doing something wrong and you then have a much harder hill to climb up in terms of uh, trying to create change. If we talk around conscious inclusion and we talk around making everybody feel included from the get-go, then everybody's like, I can agree to that because that sounds kind of like the right thing to do. I think the government is wrong to remove understanding of diversity and how impactful and positive it is. The level of investment which the newspapers had said had been spent, when you added it up and you looked at how much it was, it was so, so tiny sure. that it was, you're not even giving it a chance to work. If we say that um, a day's training is £1,500, I think they'd spent, or whatever they had spent, the amount of training was going to touch the tiniest fraction of employees, certainly much less than any other private business I know is is doing in terms of their investment. So or from us, we do conscious inclusion training where we talk around kind of that everybody is different and so how can we can make everybody included. That has a really positive response. Unconscious biases can be a bit jarring, especially if you don't work with the right providers and like with everything, it's within that. And if people want to know who they can work with, they, they can go on to rgdiversity.com and we list all of the partners we work with on our DNI data, our DNI uh, learning programs, our kind of DNI recruitment, all of the pieces there. And for me, is DNI is hard, but in business, if you want to be successful, you've got to do the things which are difficult to make other things easier. If you want to be easier to achieve better performance, make make DNI a strategic priority because the benefits that you get are significant your workforce is more engaged. People start to feel as if they're represented at all levels, and that's really powerful. But going back to your question, I was really disappointed that they stopped funding. And I think that without being political, I think there's lots of things which which the government have done in the last year, which I think kind of haven't shone themselves in a particularly good, a good light. It has been a hard year, but I do think that removing a focus on having people feel included when we're living a, a divided kind of society isn't perhaps the best thing to do. So 
last question on this subject and it's just a, it's a thought piece really I, I, th- I guess it's come to my mind based on you know working recruiting I, I see vacancies be advertised we monitor what vacancies and titles are being advertised at any one point we look at stats we look at the analytics and something a trend that we've seen as, as HR recruiters here is a number of businesses and brands and we've supported them because it's what we do but a number of brands have been recruiting for DNI specialists champions managers whatever the title might be but a lot of these positions have been on fixed-term contracts. And it, it begs the question to me is, why are there so many fixed-term contract roles and why are they not permanent? I guess the question I'm aiming for is, do you see this being something that's very much, I hate the word fad, particularly on a subject that's so important and should definitely not be, but do you think in six months' time, 12 months' time, this will be less of a priority for brands and it's something that's very much in the now? Or are you hopeful that actually this is here to stay? Because if it is here to stay, then my question for many of these brands um, that, I, that, that we've seen sort of advertised roles is why are they so many of these positions on fixed term contract basis? Surely this should be an ongoing thing that should be a permanent requirement if you are truly looking to make change. I'd just be interested in your thoughts. It's just something I've observed. I don't know the answer to it. I certainly hope and pray that you know DNI is something that all brands will look to champion uh, inclusive policies forever going forward, and we can we look to improve them on a continual basis. But as we you know we, we all know, there's still even in in this this new 2021 year, there's still a big gender pay gap. There's still issues in terms of diversity inclusion for for, for many brands in the UK. So, what would your take be on on the longer term view? I think it's a really interesting question. So the easy part is, is DNI here to say the answer is yes? It's unequivocal in terms of all of the evidences around that it's what employees want. They want everybody to feed included. They want to feed included. And so you've got to get your DNI right or at least be on the journey. Why is it contract roles or consulting roles rather than permanent ones? And I can understand nervousness around why you might not commit to a position. I would probably counsel people into avoiding making it a short-term piece because I don't think it sends out the right message. But if you go back 20 years and when learning really started to become a a better-funded department, there was a lot of learning consultants who were were out there who were then bringing their wares into the business on short-term contracts The recruitment world is littered with growth and expansion of consultants and then a contraction with providers who can help you do that as well. The challenge on the DNI side and it being a permanent head is people don't know which level they I'll assume that 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 these are the reasons. They might not know the right level which they need somebody. They might want someone who can come in and work on some projects initially, but then need a different skill set kind of downstream. Where do you do you want it to be a standalone department or do you want it to be a specialist who helps him who helps improve DNI in all of your other areas? And that's the bit where I think that because we don't know what's the best way to do it, when Ulrich wrote his business partnering centers of excellence kind of model, kind of last century, DNI wasn't a center of excellence. And DNI wasn't part of what the HRB's business partner did. So I think there's an element of we don't know what the best vision of success is. So I want to try it, but I don't want to commit to it. And I think that I can understand an element of reticence, but I think we've got to be braver than that. 
let's do something. And then if it doesn't work, let's have a good conversation about why it's not working and let's let's revise it and make it work or have another really good, good go at it. I think is this aversion to doing it is actually the hindrance rather than anything else. And if you can write a job description and write a business case as to why you need a role, make it a permanent role. Because the the only issue is that you then might need to adjust some skill sets. You might need to adjust some supporting parts to it. But having someone in the business who's making a positive impact on DNI, when they get up, that's what they think about. That's all they do at work all day is impact and and do that. And and let's reframe this. If you have a someone whose job is about creating an inclusive work environment, that can only be a positive. So I think that, that I think we've just got to adjust at how we talk about it, adjust how we see it, and actually just really start to have a, a much better conversation around it. Yeah, I think that's a great response. And by the way, um, I don't want to be critical. I was playing a little bit of devil's advocate to get your view rather than pushing my own, because I, I personally believe that anyone, any brand that's investing in uh, in improving their DNI strategies, be it on a contract or a permanent basis, it's a positive thing. And as you rightly say. Many of these brands are, are taking people on a contract basis initially just to scope what it is they need to do before they actually employ permanently. But I didn't want to give that bit away before getting your view on it, because I think um, it is an interesting question. And uh, as you say, it absolutely needs to be here to stay. Um, and there are many brands doing some some great, great things to try and improve. And let's hope we see that that improve and con- that continuous improvement for the future as well. So last question, really, Robin, I want to bring it back to technology, because I know that investing in tech is something that you are uh, you believe sh- all firms should be doing at the moment. I have to say, from a recruitment perspective, we're seeing this from a, from a bird's eye view of, of brands across the UK right now. And I'm, I'm sure this has to be as a result of the pandemic in particular, where Brands are recognising they need to invest in digital transformation. We're probably seeing more transformation projects taking place within the companies we work with than we've ever seen before. But I know it's from your perspective, you say that it shouldn't just be limited to the larger firms with larger budgets, but actually all firms should look at digital transformation in one way or another. I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit more for me. Yeah, so I think when you're an HR team or an HR leader and you're looking at what you can do I think there's lots of things you can do to kind of improve that. And I would start with looking at your existing HR vendors and asking them, okay, I have this product from you. Who can I integrate with or do you have? And I look at ourselves as as Reward Gateway and the, and the breadth of offering we have. And one of the things that I love working here is that we're a a single one-stop solution for clients for so much of what they can do. And it's also the reason why you have firms in the recruitment space who do really well because they do lots of different elements themselves. And it's why kind of the ATS market has been so successful because they can do the job advert part, they can do the communications to candidates, they can do the, the sifting. Everything's integrated into a single solution. And actually, when you look at the recruitment world, you can have one tool to manage all of your recruitment needs. And actually where I think this is going to happen is you're going to get a single solution or or, or a primary solution in the HR world, which will manage as much of your employee lifecycle as possible, which is kind of where I'm blessed to work at Reward Gateway and where we're kind of working within kind of that. To me, it's about consolidation. Look at all of your suppliers and see what they're doing for you and see how you can bring them together. Because the less time you spend on managing suppliers, the more time you spend on the employee experience 
within that. So you can do more with less. And it also means that you're able to then use those other investments with the saving into different and more interesting areas, which will be even more impactful. I think the growth of tech has been amazing, but now I think it's the time for integrating the tech and consolidating that into providers who give you the biggest impact in the fewest number of solutions. Excellent. So last question, actually, I wasn't going to ask this, but it's led me to think about this. Maybe this is my recruitment hat uh, being put back on again for you, Robert, but where do niche or, or doesn't have to be niche, but where do recruitment agencies sit then within this for you? I know I didn't really, I wasn't planning to bring this full circle back to recruitment, but obviously you mentioned their single source solutions. Uh, obviously the recruitment industry is changing all the time. Businesses are relying on tech and internal teams. Where does the, the external agency like myself sit in the future view from you as an HR director? How are you viewing that market? To me, it's really simple. Recruitment agencies will always be part of your recruitment mix because recruitment agencies are specialists in terms of what they do. So do I need a recruitment agency when I'm looking for a client success manager, which is a position which is an amazing role to have, but it's one that we know really well because we grow and we promote, and so we always have opportunities for people like that? Probably not. If I'm looking for a really niche specialist position, will I be or will my recruitment team be completely au fait with what's needed for that? Probably not. So you might need to partner with kind of kind of specialist recruitment agencies. And I think that what we've seen over the last 25 years is the growth of the specialist agency, be that in legal, in IT or in tech or in payroll and in HR, and the reduction of the generic agency to uh, fill in kind of lots of different positions because we're able to fill roles much faster. In olden days, you used to have maybe once a quarter would you go on a hiring spree and then the rest of the time you would have your vacancies filled by temps. And I did that myself when I was at the British Council. But then when you can start to have agile recruiting, so you hire uh, when you need, which now everyone sees as normal, but 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 wasn't the case. So agencies are really important because they understand the, the market. They understand the candidates. They'll be able to tell you based on your requirements what kind of person you need. And maybe this is why people are nervous around the DNI recruitment piece is they don't know what they're looking for, and that's not as an established field. The more established it gets, the better it will become, the more people will be working within it. And so it becomes a self-solving problem. Sure. I, I was always interested in that view from people's perspective. Not every brand out there will use agencies. Some people rely fully on a direct sourcing model. I think um, DNI makes it an interesting question because I think some brands forget that when you are an external agency as we are, and we are niche, and I fully agree that the, the future of the recruitment agency externally will be niche agencies over generalist ones, because as you say, generalist roles now can be managed much more effectively internally than we ever could before. But the other thing to remember is as niche agencies, we get to invest every penny of resource that we have into recruitment related tech and strategy. So we don't need to consider some of the areas HR directors like yourself will be investing across your whole gambit of HR activities you need to support. Actually, everything we do is geared towards 
accessing the, the, the biggest and most diverse talent pools we can. And some of those platforms are very expensive. Some of them are very specialist to utilize. And you obviously need a, a specialist eye to interpret the CVs that come in and be able to understand who can do what and who can't and, and, and where people fit. But I think um, it's an interesting question because I'm really excited about the future of recruitment, both for internal businesses that, that manage it internally and for externally uh, services that, that, that we provide. I think they can work really well together. And I think that the the access to more diverse pools of talent is a really exciting proposition that everyone should be really targeting at the minute. Because I think, as you say, it's been proven in every study that I've read. And it sounds like you've read the same ones or, or, or the studies you've read as well, that you know, the more diverse a talent we can attract, the better businesses perform, the more diversity of thought we have in decisions and boardrooms. And um, I think it's overall a, a really positive thing. And the more harmony we have in that, in that cohesive recruitment strategy that, that brands um, decide to implement, I think the better. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really simple when you boil it down to, to those facts and statements. But actually, I do understand how big a hill it can uh, feel to climb. But my answer to everything is, if you start walking now, you'll get to the top sooner. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I think that's a great way to finish it. So I won't ask any more further questions after that, Robert. I think you've uh, absolutely nailed that on the head with a, with a brilliant finish to this podcast. So thank you ever so much for joining me today on the HRLND podcast. Of course, if people want to find out more about Reward Gateway, Robert, where should they go? Rewardgateway.com. Fantastic. And I will also include Robert's uh, LinkedIn profile as well. If anyone wants to access and connect with Robert, please have a look at the show notes uh, to this episode and you can click straight through both to Reward Gateway if you want to find out more about that business and to Robert's LinkedIn profile as well. Of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast and you have an HR, HRIS, L&D or any other HR related vacancy that you need some niche HR recruitment support with, please do get in touch with me. I would love to help show you what a great HR recruitment experience can feel like. I can demonstrate some of the tools that we utilize from a technology perspective to make sure that you access the widest and broadest uh, pools of talent available. You can reach me directly at nick at jgarecruitment.com or give me a call 01727 800 377. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Robert Hicks, HR Director of Ward Gateway, for joining me today on what has been a fantastic podcast. I think and hope you will all agree. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to Robert's perspective on the market and I look forward to bringing you all the next episode of the HR and Indeed podcast real soon. Look after yourselves and each other. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.